Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, man. Oh, Matt. This is one of those episodes where our predictions turned out to be correct. How come the uh, our correct predictions are Never about happy stuff. I mean, this would be a very different show if that were the yeah. case. Um, yeah, in this case, we looked at a thing called Sesame Credit. And it's a social credit score. It's a social credit system that exists in, in China. And we we saw a slippery slope, I think, as we often describe. We saw it. And man, if we didn't ride down that thing. Yeah, agreed. So what you're going to hear about today is um, it's an older episode. It's one of our classics. Uh, This is our first on-air encounter with a credit system that is not necessarily financially based. If you live in the West, you're familiar with the um, great racket of credit scores. And uh, almost everybody you know has had a not great experience with the big three credit companies. Uh, It's a system that has a lot of problems, but is arguably necessary. The government of China extended this to the idea of a kind of credit rating for your status as a citizen in that country. And as we recorded this episode, the Sesame credit system, as it was being called at the time, was opt-in. At this point, uh, there's nothing officially like that in the U.S. Yeah, officially. We just uh, we police ourselves via social pressure on social media. Uh, but it is weird to think about it. Uh, the way you're talking about credit, Ben, 
you know, it's not like uh, the credit system here in the U.S. is opt-in. You're just a part of it. As soon as you want to, you know, do things and buy things and have things in the West, you have to have a credit score. You get one. They kind of just assign it to you. And uh, I don't know. I'm just <laughs> just uh, waiting for that to officially happen here in the U.S. It feels very soon. What are we talking about? You're you're about to you're about to see. <laughs> From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. Meow, my name is Ben. You are you. This is stuff they don't want you to know. Uh, did you guys ever see the, the video or the film Saw? Any of that franchise? I did, the first one. I'm aware of it. I never, I never saw it, huh? But I oh, did, I know. You, you didn't see Saw? I didn't see Saw. No, I did not. Or I have not yet. Um, but, the antagonist in there is, if I recall correctly, is always saying, let's play a game or would you like to play a game or something like that? Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Something to that effect. Well, people have taken his idea and just ran with it aside from the torture part. They, they liked everything but the torture. And we'll start today's podcast with a basic concept, a pretty neat one that all three of us in, uh, here in the podcast studio and you um, out in whatever your neck of the global woods is uh, have probably encountered. And that is gamification. This is a fun idea. I happen to personally like it uh, for certain things. This is when you're making some activity. Let's say you're at the gym and you're running or just running somewhere uh, and you've got something on your arm that's tracking the, your arm movements, your, your steps, that's gamifying. If you, you know, I'm trying to get a certain number of steps in a day or I'm, it's going to give me some kind of reward if I achieve that number. Right. And it could be something as, um, you know, as immaterial as just points are on a pinball machine. Sure. In a contest. Yeah. But then you get a high badge, score, you know, or it's like an app to quit smoking. Now there might be financial sites. Well, not to mention if you take it to the next level and, and do a thing like zombie, zombies run. There's an app that takes mm -hmm. the, that step counting thing and trying to keep up a pace and it introduces zombies into the equation where you're, you know, running away from, uh, virtual zombies. So that's fun. I mean, you can take it as far as you want to go. Let's not forget how, you know, Niantic sort of tricked a bunch of nerds into, you know, gamifying their exercise. Unbeknownst to them, <laughs> and yeah. uh, with the Pokemon, you know, chase those Pokemon. You're gonna get mm -hmm. some steps in. You gotta add those eggs, right? Gamifying your GPS. So, according to the University of Pennsylvania, here's a pretty good basic definition. Here, gamification is the application of game elements and digital game design techniques to non-game problems. Like we said, you know, mm -hmm. exercise, self-improvement, financial management. There's pretty compelling data that gamification ups individual engagement, by which we mean like sustained participation in several uh, different areas. To, to sum it all up, and, and our, our pal and uh, erstwhile guest host Jonathan Strickland has, has a pretty good episode about this on Tech Stuff, mm -hmm. which we recommend. Uh, to sum it up, gamification is messing with your brain. It's it's affecting your reward centers. Our brains don't 
necessarily differentiate between a useful reward and the feeling of being rewarded. Achievement unlocked. Exactly. Achievement unlocked. And so this provides uh, several things. There's an emotional relevance to learning because it turns out our brains are better at remembering stories. We remember things if we have a, if we feel like they they matter emotionally. Or if we can fit it into kind of a narrative that mm-hmm. there's a sort of a beginning, middle, and end, that end being your goal, it's just much easier to uh, sort of internalize and, and sort of become a character in the story, so to right. speak. Yeah. And when you are able to kind of cram yourself into this narrative and earn those achievements, get to that end point, what it does is it triggers dopamine receptors and it creates this reward system with positive associations with learning. So it's kind of a win-win. Right. Yeah. All- you feel good and Good things happen for you. Yeah, and that's not the only chemical that will be involved. There are all, me, all these other feel-good chemicals, two very important ones being, you know, serotonin, of course, and... Oh, endorphins. Uh, well, this is, you know, this is why I have to level up. I always have to level up. No mm-hmm. matter what time it is, it doesn't matter if it's 3 in the morning, got to get that next level because it's important. And you probably, of the three of us, have the most experience. You're probably the best gamer. Well, I don't want to offend you. Don't. Not best. Are you what one might describe as a level grinder? Oh, I am such a grinder mm-hmm. for levels, mm-hmm. uh, for any kind of upgrades. You know, if I've got a character, got to upgrade it to the max. And there's been a lot of research put into gamification of these of of these various different aspects you know how how do we make it um how do we make people feel like they are having fun when they are accomplishing either something that benefits them or benefits us whomever they might be in this case and now for something completely different well kind of china <laughs> so china has a Let's talk about the relationship between the government and the people. One of the biggest concerns historically for any state level actor, which could be anything from, you know, Normandy back in the day to, uh, to ancient Kmet civilization, right? Um, to Mesoamerican civilizations. One of the primary challenges or things that the state infrastructure needs to address is how to maintain stability. And stability ultimately means the security, safety, and acquiescence of the people to being governed. The relationship between the government and the people in uh, the country of China has had um, it's definitely ups and downs, and it's no secret that the ruling party of China works assiduously to maintain stability across a very diverse population. Uh, China has a lot of the ingredients that, historically speaking, have been signs of a brewing revolution. And we can walk through a few of them right now. Yeah, not to mention that it is a massive population. Uh, it's it's also a population of young, unmarried males, largely. And this is uh, due to the gender ratio skew that we've seen because of the cultural practices, and, the um, one-child yeah. policy of growing cynicism over corruption in the government because – more and more people, as the Internet has come around, are finding out about it. And you could say that about most countries. Mm. Yeah. There's accelerating inequality. Again, sounds familiar to a U.S. citizen 
sitting here in this podcast studio. Not to mention all the different regions that are basically at odds with one another, Tibet, Western provinces, the persecution of various ethnic minorities. Ooh. It is a hotbed of negativity in that country a lot of times. Because, yeah, it's definitely a hotbed of tension. And j- just to put this in global perspective, the estimated population of China in 2014 was 1.39 billion. Yeah. That, that's, uh, that's, Almost 20% of the world's population. So 20% of the world's people live here. Huge yeah. divides too between the people that live in the urban areas mm-hmm. that work in um, various, they're obviously um, financial type jobs, also sure. factory type jobs, but then there are more rural uh, agrarian workers that live way, way outside the city where they just do not have access to the same infrastructure as folks living in the city do. Right. And, so China's approach to this situation, to maintaining stability, is multidimensional. And that means they maintain a few things that we we are all familiar with, like police. Yeah, jails, uh, prisons, you got to have a place to put the people who do the wrong things. They also have paid informants who mm. who go around to get information about other people who do bad things. Which isn't surprising considering what a stronghold the government has on pretty much any form of outside information. And they have their, you know, state-sponsored news agency, Mm -hmm. not in the same as the BBC, but much more of a comes directly from the government, you know. Right. It's not always entirely accurate, let's say. Right. And compensation for deaths or tracking these dissident groups and a dissident uh, being, like Asnold pointed out, can be widely defined. Mm -hmm. Uh, Informal security forces or goons. This is constantly occurring. And the government pours a lot of scratch into this. Uh, Just in 2011, for instance, the expense on national defense was 601.156 billion yuan. Or for uh, people who who want a dollar for perspective, 90.6 billion U.S. dollars. That's the claimed number, and I, I think that sounds kind of inflationary. But, but in contrast, uh, the expense on stability maintenance is six hundred and twenty-four point four two one billion, which means that this government is spending more on, uh, in, in at least two thousand eleven, spending more on internal stability than on external stuff, force projection. And this is all, I know it, it sounds vilifying, but almost every country has some sort of thing like this. You know, countries have police, jails, paid informants. This is, this is just constantly happening. And it's not all, um, negative or fear of consequence type stuff too. There are positive things, carrots rather than sticks. Well, yeah, you can rally your entire population. Well, most of your population against some shared threat that we all see existentially or for real. Let's say in historically antagonistic country, uh, one nearby like Japan that sure. China is, is in conflict with a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they can also, uh, provide propaganda to rally the population for China's historic regional importance, global ascendancy. So the enforcing the idea like we are all one entity, we're all part of this one collective thing. There's no need for us to try to break that or dissent or go into factions. Gotcha. And perhaps one of the final carrots rather than sticks is the 
the assurance of widespread economic improvement, continual economic growth. Essentially, the argument, this government is worth keeping around, you know, even if I'm not particularly happy about one thing or another, because it is good for me financially. But in addition to consistently using these long-established methods, which are, again, common throughout the world, China's not the bad guy here, China has embraced cutting-edge technologies. Yeah, they're they're using vast internal surveillance uh, online, like looking at all of the Internet activity in the country that they can possibly see, uh, looking at or listening to mm. telephone calls, uh, using the metadata, a lot of the same things that, again, we do in the U.S. just because that's my personal frame of reference. Um, they're also restricting access to information via this thing called the Great Firewall. It's referred to as the Great Firewall. Mm. It's the... Restriction of uh, Google search terms, right? Uh, anything that you search online, you're not going to find mm-hmm. certain things. Uh, Tiananmen Square massacre comes into sure. mind. Well, there's there's another thing that's interesting. This is a side note. One of my old professors, I uh, used to love talking about this, where I think we've mentioned the Great Firewall on this show before, but every so often, if you're using the internet without a proxy or something in, in the country, then the internet police will pop up, not because you're doing anything wrong, just to remind you that they're here for your safety, you know, so that you don't yeah. hit a malicious website. And the thing that was always interesting to my professor was that their eyes were blue. Whoa. I don't know why he brought that up. Is it, is it like a fun little animated uh, avatar like Clippy? It kind of is. I don't know if it's animated. It might be now at this point. But... As Steve Jobs liked to say, there's one more thing. But first, a word from our sponsor. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now, the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. Enter Sesame Credit. So, the Chinese government has decided to take all of these things into account. How... how important internal stability is within their country. And they've partnered with private industry to gamify essentially obedience among its citizens for, for the state. So this could be possibly a very dangerous enterprise. It's, it's a a social credit system. Um, I guess kind of like a credit score, but critics are already alleging that it's affiliated more so with obedience than with pocketbooks. It's called Sesame Credit. Yeah, it's being constructed for the Chinese government uh, by an outfit called Ant Financial Services Group, which is associated with Alibaba. And if you mm. have not heard of Alibaba, you almost certainly, um, you almost certainly will soon. It is the world's largest retailer as of April of 2016. It's very much like Amazon to me in the way I've viewed it. Yeah, and. And financial, this is a bit dry, but this is very important for you to know, especially if you plan on living in this country uh, in the next few years. Ant Financial operates what's called the Alipay payment platform. So Alipay is a third-party platform, and it doesn't charge transaction fees. It's partnered with MasterCard, Visa, all, all the big hitters financially. In 2014, Alipay handled almost half of the online traffic, online payment market of China. Wow. So that's uh, half of 20% of the world's population, wow. right? Or at least the internet active, right? Mm-hmm. And so this means that Sesame Credit is able to pull data from these online purchases or transactions. It can go to Ant Financial and then it can go into Sesame Credit. They can, the, the concerns here are pretty much already apparent, but we do have, you know, we do have word from the official spokespersons or spoke people for, for Sesame Credit who say, um, essentially what this does is only associated with that, that it will not pull from social media platforms. 
And, and we have a quote about that, too. So according to spokesperson Miranda Sheck, Sesame Credit tracks, quote, financial and consumption activities of users. But materials published on social media platforms do not affect our users' personal Sesame Credit score. So essentially we'll, we'll see every, we'll see every time that Ben buys the, the next, um, I don't know, gallon of, uh, blood or whatever, but, (laughs) but, uh, we won't track how many pictures he posts of him with gallons of blood. Right. The thing is, opponents remain skeptical of this claim. And and here's why it's dangerous. Do you guys want to do a hypothetical thing? Oh, God, yeah. You know that's my favorite thing to do, Ben. <laughs> uh, they right. scare me. Well, <laughs> yeah, because you're the example of this one. <laughs> okay, let's say let's say that you are um let's let's give him a different name. Can I be Drogan? If it please you. All right. Well, Please, if, if Noel's greenlighting it, then I say you are Drogan officially. So Drogan is a pretty stand-up citizen, right? You're not politically involved. I mean, you could describe yourself pretty easily. Yeah, um, I'm not really politically involved. You guys know that. I don't like to stick my nose in those kind of places because I feel like it's not my place. Uh, I'll just, you know, I'll go out to eat, grab a drink with friends. Uh, but not, you know, not too often because I like to save money. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I buy all the things that I, that I do for my hobbies. Like I like to, I'm a skater. You oh, guys okay. know that. I love yeah. to skate. Yeah. I like to run and hike. So I buy little things like that. I've, I've had a solid job for a while. I'm married. I've got a kid on the way, you know. Um, mm-hmm. you should see, you should see my Alibaba account. I've got so much baby stuff on there. Yeah. Uh, right. it's pretty insane. I'm a little worried about that, but, but it's good. I'm a good citizen, right? But let's say Sesame Credit does take social media in the account. If that's the case, then when Drogan posts a link to a censored news site, it could affect his Sesame Credit score. Furthermore, and even more dangerously, it may not matter how good Drogan is, depending on the people he's friends with and social media. But the activities of your friends on social media can have an impact on your score as well. So um, your score can actually dip below a certain threshold. And when that happens, your life can get significantly more difficult. What do you mean? Maybe the Internet slows down. Get throttled a little bit. Uh, it might be tougher to get a loan. It might be harder to start a small business that you wanted to do. That's um, going to be a problem. Yeah. And then your application to various government agencies might get uh, denied. Really? Yeah. yeah. So, so going through bureaucracy gets more difficult. Which, as we know, I mean, in a country of that size is already probably not an easy task. So things like moving, applying for travel visas, so on. Mm. You know, that means that there is a system that relies on social pressure, um, but is introducing these incentives to the public to self-monitor as people want to take advantage of having this good Sesame credit score and then avoid the consequences of having a crappy one. So maybe, um, maybe, Drogan, uh, Drogan takes a hit to his Sesame Credit score and his wife comes in and says, what happened? Yeah, cause she can see my Sesame, my Sesame Credit score. I can see hers. Maybe mm. we have a joint credit score, Sesame Credit yeah, score. Who knows? But it's, it is for sure that your activity with the person you probably spend the most time with would be noted and affect it. And speaking of notes, it is important to note that at this point, Sesame Credit has not 
um, not rolled out any penalties for a low score and official sources state it will not include penalties for a low score. And right at this point, let's, let's just stop and like, what do, what do you guys think of this? This, this idea of, um, this idea of a, of a state rated agency. It feels like something out of like 1984 to me. You know, it really feels like the kind of thing that on the surface might feel fun, but the deeper you get into it, the more you realize that you're kind of being duped into allowing the government to have even more control over your life than they already do. So what if, for instance, what if, for instance, Drogan wants to start a small business and he knows that if he gets his number up to a certain threshold, he will be able to get a loan much easier, much more easily. So he reports one of his neighbors for something, which may be true, maybe not. And then that participation makes him more of a model citizen, more of a trustworthy citizen. And then boom, his score goes up. Would, would the possibility is there? The, the spokespeople for Sesame Credit have said explicitly that they're not checking mm-hmm. social media and that this is an opt-in system, but it is possible to incentivize essentially, um, a place where people, instead of reacting out of fear, are reacting because they see themselves bettering themselves, right? They see it as bettering themselves. I know this might sound sort of paranoid on our parts, and this, this thing, this news has been around for a few years, but there's one other, there's one other fact that really gives some sand to our concerns here, and we'll get to it right after a word from our sponsor. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. 
I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Here is the troubling fact about Sesame Credit that gives a little more credence, I think, to the speculation around the world about it. It's opt-in for now, Mm -hmm. at least until 2020, when it becomes mandatory for every citizen of the country. Yeah. Um, So I'm trying to imagine it happening in the United States. Um, the, let's say the federal government creates their version of Sesame Credit. It is. It's called Pokemon. <laughs> okay. Okay. No, no, but I'm being serious. Here. Sure. Sure. Know, something, something as, well, something more transparent because there's, there are also pretty compelling arguments that the alphabet agencies take credit score and social, um, connections on Facebook into account. So. Yeah. They do a full LinkedIn on that sucker. Mm-hmm. And in, in, I'm trying to imagine opting into something like that and going, yes, I want to see how good of a citizen I am and I want to be a better citizen and do all the right things for that. I feel like this country, this is huge generalization, but I feel like the individuals in this country believe in individualism so much that that may not uh, be attractive. I, I don't know. And that's complete speculation. And from my own personal view, well, but on the flip side of that, though, not to general overgeneralize, but it does feel like that the um, the culture in China has much more of a focus on collectivism versus individualism. So I could see how something like this would take off without having to be mandatory. Yeah, and there's also one party, right? right. So in the U.S., as the federal government changes hands from one party to the net to the next, how does that change? Or from what I like that you say changes hands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's the same hand going into a different puppet. <laughs> right, right. But uh, <laughs> that's a that's a good point. Um, so yeah, these things happen by degree, right? Facebook didn't come out and say, "Let us do these horrific things to you or to your." concept of privacy they just said hey you can you can hang out with your friends from college online create artificial scarcity artificial um sense of exclusivity uh 
So there are very, there are very smart things happening here because one, it's opt-in, which means the original group will be self-selecting people who want to and to want to have a Sesame Credit score, want it to be high, want people to know about it, and perhaps may even compete to achieve a better score. And then if those people are seen, you know, doing quote unquote better in life and society, then having a credit score, a Sesame Credit score will you know, probably become more desirable. Well, and who's to say that the government doesn't take one of these cases and turn it into like a poster kind of sure. situation yeah. where they're like, hey, look at this family here. They went full bore on the Sesame Credit, you know, yeah. model. They got rid and of all their friends. They got Yeah, and now they're thriving. Don't you want to be like this family? I mean, I just, I don't know. And how will it affect, how it'll affect younger people who are in the dating phase of life looking for a, wow. uh, looking for some kind of spouse, whether that's, you know, a husband or a wife. Uh, and then they also said, they, they also said, according to a BBC article, that the company does not hide that it judges the types of products shoppers buy online. So someone who plays video games for 10 hours a day would be considered idle. Someone who frequently buys diapers would be considered probably a parent who is on balance more likely to have a sense of responsibility. That comes from Lee Ying-yong, uh, Sesame's direct technology director. Wow. And, yeah. And this... This idea that gets so much more granular with those though. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, like these categories that we're talking about now are very broad, but as we know with the way even our data is used, um, and mined. Oh yeah. Think of the possibilities of all of the specifics you could find out about somebody with unfettered access to their feed, to their streamed everything that they're putting online. Yeah. Which so. diapers did they buy and at what time? Exactly. Uh, privacy is not endangered. Privacy is extinct already for the vast um, the vast majority of people who live in developing or developed nations. Privacy, I, I submit to you, is one of the new currencies of the very well-to-do, right? The people you don't see in pictures, the people who are a name in a who's who of so-and-so. And very soon, water will be one of those things. No, I hope not. I hope water will be on all the time. I, You know, we're... Is it sustainable? That's a good question. And maybe for a different day, it makes me think of what's going on now with uh, the water in Rio de Janeiro. Yeah. Prep for the Olympics. Don't open your mouth. Right. And watch out for dead bodies floating. So this, this brings us to something else. Like the technology, technology is inherently disruptive, right? Mm-hmm. There's this whole, um, if there was a, a pantheon for the circle of society, then technology would be Siva the Destroyer because it, it fundamentally changes roles of people, institutions, and fundamentally changes timelines. In this case, we're seeing technology change the role of monitoring if it's full potential. Again, they say Sesame Credit says that it's just to do this. It'll be mandatory later in, in 2020, but its full potential is crystal clear. Yeah. It's paving the way for the people of a country to become the police of a country. Yeah. Police themselves. Police could, each other. Yeah. It could subvert the old paradigm of state stability through fear of consequence to a new paradigm of desire for reward. And, you know, that the other thing is like, is that necessarily bad if people are there just to follow laws? Right. If people have social pressure that's saying, hey, don't, um, you know, hey, hey, stop. Hey, Drogan's brother-in-law, stop <laughs> stealing all those fiats, right? You're messing up my Sesame credit score, and I'd really like 
who knows, my kid to get into a good school. Mm-hmm. Like when, when other, when we hold other people hostage for things or other people hold us hostage for things, that becomes a powerful and uh, probably more cost effective means of controlling people. It's, it, I, I think the concern is that it's bad if there's a, um, it's bad if there's a bad government, right? That yes, says exactly. That says we're interning everybody of you know Korean descent, or we're we're interning everybody in Tibet, which probably would never ever happen. Yeah, or just you know allowing any kind of abuses, just uh, outright allowing any kind of abuse in any country that would allow that that had this kind of system on. It would be dangerous. It, it, it reminds me of a, a David Eggers book called The Circle that I've mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a, a version of the Internet that exists in this uh, novel where you can no longer be anonymous on the Internet anymore. And that in and of itself creates this democratization of the Internet where, you know, if you're not willing to stand behind your trolling and, you know, have your name and ID number visible to everyone, then you're not going to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. So it eliminates a lot of uh, the negative aspects of the Internet. But it also like you are tied to this account for life, you know, and I could just see an escalation of this being like this is your Social currency. This is your identification. Everything, your record, your permanent record, right. everything that happens in your life is stored in this account. And it's all kind of tied to information technology. Mm-hmm. So it follows you around and you can never escape it short of like wiping, you know, doing like a Mr. Robot style hack, you know, and just totally annihilating the record. It's a digital shadow and it follows yeah. you. Yeah. When you combine that technology with surveillance, Technology, mm-hmm. you get something that's extremely close to a digital version of, version of our concept of God that mm. knows everything you've done or Santa Claus. Maybe he knows yeah. everything that you're doing when you're naughty and when you're nice. He sees you when you're sleeping. Yeah. Knows when you're awake. Yeah. That's a creep. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, yeah. really? That's, I mean, that, these are, these are excellent points. They call it God view with Uber. You know, they have like a view where they can see everybody that's on the grid in Uber. They call it God view. And that's like a, that's a tech term for any kind of a platform that has users where you can view everyone where they are geographically at any time. Take a thing like this where not only maybe Spotify has a gazillion users or whatever, but this is literally everyone. So there could also be, let's, we talked about some of the cons. Uh, I want to talk about some pros just to give a, at least a fair thing. Sure. So it's not a complete condemnation. Uh, one of the pros, for instance, could be the ability to see a problem brewing before it does. And I don't mean necessarily like a descent, but to see, the the thing it's doing is it's it's giving a wider view. It's giving that Uber God mode, right? But is it explaining why something happens? If people are maybe there are people who are purchasing less of some at some frequency, right? Mm-hmm. And they're concentrated in this one region or this area. Well, maybe they're purchasing less stuff overall, and that drops their Sesame Credit score. But it the reason they're doing that is because the factory in the area that everybody worked at closed or is closing and has been laying off workers. And this is something maybe that the larger scale government would not have been aware of in enough time to help. Right. I can or, see that. Or maybe there's a, um, 
maybe there's something that changes with disaster. The thing is, the world is so dynamic, and it's difficult to imagine a system nimble enough to accurately represent that without, you know, breaking millions of eggs to make an omelet that may be an abomination. And the the issue with this, in my mind, is that we must always be cautious of hard cells. It, this is entirely my opinion, but usually when someone has an act now thing, they say, here, do this, you have 24 hours. Or do this, you Sounds have familiar. three minutes. And again, one worrying thing about this is that it is a hard sell. It is inevitable. Currently, it is an opt-in, but it is mandatory within the near, very near future. Two, 2020 may sound or like a long way away or look like that on paper, but it's coming much, much faster than yeah. you might feel. I could have sworn the stock market just crashed a little while ago, but that, that was almost 10 years ago. And as William Faulkner said, the past isn't even over, right? I'm paraphrasing. But with this, it may be inevitable. Another question, you know, is the U.S. already doing this? Is the European Union already doing something like this, but much less transparent? And if so, should we applaud a country that is at least putting out a beta? Yeah, having a modicum of transparency. And, and what does this, what does this lead to in the future? Does this mean that will be the end of, um, what exists as free speech in this country? Does this mean that Free speech in the country in which we reside is already, you know, monitored. And of course, granted, free speech never was meant to mean speech without consequence. And we've always been monitored since we've been able to communicate online. Yeah, that's that's true as well. So we would like to hear your thoughts on this. What what do you think? Is this is this actually going to happen? Is Sesame Credit what is Sesame Credit's credit score here? <laughs> is it trustworthy enough that it will not, for ideological or dare we say moral reasons, begin to also vacuum in social media data? Will it be, uh, will it be just a motivating factor for people to work out more and, and like gamify the way that smaller, smaller scale apps have done? Or is it something different? Is it when it becomes mandatory in 2020, what will it, my question is, what will it be in 2025? You know what I mean? What will it be in 2035? You know, I just thought about Ben before we get to how to send your questions for that stuff is that it doesn't even really matter if Sesame credit itself is tracking all that stuff and putting it together because some third party can just take the data which exists, especially if they're, sell, you know, if Sesame Credit selling it like many other social media companies do, selling that data they collect to third parties. You can just combine it all and then have another company that's essentially like a social blade or something that's just collating all the data. Mm. Ultimately, it may not matter if someone, even if they say, okay, mandatory, that's kind of crazy. We understand how that would make us seem disingenuous or less trustworthy than we actually are. It will always be opt-in, right? The same way that yeah. Facebook is, but there's a problem of saturation that occurs because if you have never signed up for Facebook and all of your friends have, and they have sent you an email, right? Then Facebook knows there's someone who has your email address 
They may not know as much about you as they want to, but they probably already know more than you wish. You may have heard stories before of people who found that there was a dummy Facebook account, a digital parking space waiting for them, and they had never logged in. This could be the same kind of problem. After a certain threshold, if there are enough people that are in this kind of situation, then there will be connections that are unintentional, right? And that is not a conspiracy theory. That is a real thing that can happen with any sort of social network, right? Especially if the people in the social network interact in person, yeah. go places with their cell phones, right? Take pictures in different places while you were at the party with three different friends who are unconnected somehow, but they all end up, you know, connected. Play online. Pokemon Go or whatever the equivalent of a GPS game is with facial recognition as part of the thing, you know, then this... This is all happening live. This is live fire. This is, this is, uh, you guys know I'm hesitant to cover ongoing events. This is just an upcoming thing. Yeah. So there's a huge disclaimer. Like it may not, who knows? It may, it may not happen. It may just, just collapse on itself and become vaporware. I think it's interesting that you refer to it as a beta test because I mean, that's exactly what it is, but it's a very unusual beta test for sure. So what do you think, folks? Uh, do you think this is on balance a good thing, a bad thing? As uh, one of our coworkers, uh, Scott Benjamin, is wont to say, are you for it or again it? <laughs> he does say that. And uh, we, we'd like to hear your opinion and why. And if you, if you feel like Sesame Credit has been vilified because of the potential for misuse, uh, we, we'd like to hear a, a good defense of this. You mm-hmm. know, it would, it would make, not just us, but many of our listeners and many of the other folks around the world, uh, ecstatic to know that this was all alarmism and panic. We're not saying it's happening now. We're saying that it's possible. And we may well be being a little bit alarmist and panicking, to be fair. How so? I don't know. I mean, I just, this is the kind of thing that's sort of like catnip, you know, for getting the brain kind of twirling around. Like, what is the worst case scenario? What is the most nefarious way this potentially well-meaning program could just spiral out of control into the depths of Black Mirror 1984 Fahrenheit 451 territory. It is that kind of thing to me. But it doesn't necessarily mean it has to go there. Right. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean it has to go there. I mean, they're like if... Uh, it's if, probably going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> if, I was, I was going to say the worst analogy. It's like just because a car hits a pole and bursts into flame doesn't mean that people are going to be injured if they're in it. It means they probably will be. And chances are they're going to be incinerated. You know, that's a very, that's a very unfair comparison for me to make. I'm not implying that this is a car accident, but it is interesting. It does show, you know, it shows this increasingly, um, increasingly profound role that technology is playing here. Uh, so we would like to hear from you. Let us know what you think. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter because we do have a Facebook page and it probably knows way too much about what kind of pizza the three of us like. Uh, you can find us there. We are Conspiracy Stuff. You can also find us on uh, Instagram where we are Conspiracy Stuff Show. Where you can see my brand new Space Camp t-shirt sent to us by listener Paula H., because she took pity on me because I had never been to space camp. It had been a dream of mine ever since I was a little Nickelodeon loving child watching Double Dare and seeing that as the grand prize, the end all be all of my childhood dreams dashed. Well, she put them back together 
picked up the pieces, healed my childlike soul. And you, Thank you. you took a great picture. I appreciate it. That. I was, really, I, that was genuine. Day. That was genuine uh, joy and uh, 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 appreciation that you saw there on, mm-hmm. on this this bearded face. So thank you, Paula H. Yeah, th- and you know what? The Matt and I owe you a thank you for that as well because uh, Noel's enthusiasm was palpable. That was <laughs> everybody's day. I was out. I was out of the office somewhere, and you texted me, and so I just like immediately poofed back into that circle to see the shirt. And again, listeners are the most important part of our show, and every time we say that, we like to uh, demonstrate that with a little thing we call shout out corners. Our first shout-out today goes to Jonathan West, who wrote to us on Twitter. He let us know about the Panama Papers movie that's coming to Netflix. I'm excited about that. That was a great episode, I, in my opinion, guys. Don't mean to toot our own horn, but I enjoyed that episode because... It's okay, it, man. Give a, give a little horn toot. Well, it, it gave a real window into a world that we kind of knew was there. We did know was happening, but we got to see the details. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. It's... Uh, it's written by, it's a book that was written by investigative journalist Frederick Obermeyer and Bastian Obermeyer. Interesting, similar last names there. Um, but yeah, thank you, Jonathan West. We're definitely going to be checking that out. Next, we have one from Arik Comstock via Facebook. Arik manufactures paint robots. Um, quote, my robots have no AI, which I believe is a good thing, but they can see. They can see colors and they can see when something is near to them and how close someone is to them. I find my job extremely interesting watching the advancements that happen at my company, but I'm also glad they are taught by a a teach pendant. A teach pendant. I don't know this term. And also that they are creating a lot of jobs in the field. Uh, teach pendants are really interesting. I had to look them up. It's how you teach a robot to do things, right? So inputs. You give the robot certain inputs, kind of if, ands, those kind of things. And it learns by what you what you tell it to do. That's by it. Doing That's that how it knows. A sequence of if, thens. Yeah, it's not learning. Is that how they teach those robots on the radio how to rap? Yep. You are so proud of that joke. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me happy. <laughs> I, but I probably got that wrong uh, about teach pendants. Write to us. Teach us about teach pendants. Yes. And our next shout out comes from Callie Lipke, uh, who says, I just found your podcast while on a four hour road trip. Now I listen at work. I've been really disappointed that you don't have an episode on Benghazi. Would love to hear one on that. That'd be the uh, part, uh, the attack on the U.S. Uh, U.S. Uh, facilities there. Yeah, the embassy. Yeah, I don't know. That that could be a rough one, but we can at least look into it. See if there's something worth our time. Sure. What do you know about it? What did Hill Dog know about it? Ah, uh, what did ah yes the okay yes the allegations of uh, the emails right that were released by WikiLeaks regarding. Uh, the Hillary Clinton's campaign or Hillary Clinton's activities while serving as secretary of state under the Obama administration. Yeah. Response times to when everything was going down. Eh, there's a lot of stuff there. It's been, this whole thing seems to have been taken up by the right side of the U S government as like an attack. So I don't know. It might be a little too sensitive. Right. Yeah. You know, I have not been as, educated on that one as I should be. So I'll look into that and learn more. And, uh, 
who knows what we'll find if we dig deep enough. Uh, so thank you so much for writing in, Callie. That concludes our... But that does not conclude the stuff they don't want you to know. I mean, in this episode, yes. This mm-hmm. is clearly the end of the We're episode. <laughs> you can check out, uh, you can check out some other stuff we've done about international relations, about, um, disruptive roles of technology by visiting our website, stuff they don't want you to know.com. And that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode, you can get into contact with us in a number of different ways. One of the best is to give us a call. Our number is one eight three three stdwytk If you don't want to do that, you can send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.